a lot of the time, how I use social media does all the work for me. So instead of having to go into physical rooms and having to meet people to show people what I do, which to me gives me brain freeze, I use social media. And what that does is it attracts the right people who then send their emails, their messages, and then we can really, we can engage in a one-on-one conversation, which is what I prefer as an introvert. I see these young boys and then with, you know, where drinking is, is your pedigree, how much beers can you drink, how much alcohol you can consume versus, um, I would love to see where, hey, how fit are you, right? How many people are you helping? How much are you pushing yourself? How much are you pushing your mind? What have you learned lately? And, and loving to see that as a representation. We have to understand that people are not just one-dimensional. We are multi-dimensional. We are multi-potentialites. And even though we show up in professional spaces, we do have our personal lives and we have hobbies and we have interests. All right. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Mark Moyu. Uh, today, we're talking with Dr. Terry Carell reed She's the human Ethernet connecting people of people and dots. Mm-hmm. She has built a brand that is synonymous with world excellence in the world of event and TV hosting, speaking, content curation, online branding, and storytelling. Terry Carell is also the author of My Brand Compass, The 13 C's to Building Your Personal Brand. And I think if I did enough proper research, I think you have over 228,000 followers across your different brand platforms. So I'm very excited to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You know, Caribbean tech pioneers. I don't get invited to tech mm-hmm. pioneer, you know, speaking um, platforms much. So this is going to be very exciting. Thank you so very much for having me. So I, I, I read this short little bio and I could have read many different accolades about you. Mm-hmm. Instead, tell us who you are. Uh, I am rambunctious. Mm. I am probably and personable. I am an introvert, uh, too much to, to, to many people's surprise. Um, I like to put good out in the world. I like every interaction, whether it is micro or macro with me, to be one that leaves people feeling happier and lighter um, about their, their outlook on life. And what you see is what you get. I'm always trying to push the boundaries where my personal goals are concerned and quite frankly if there are any adversities or anything or challenges that come my way I don't ever go into complaining but more problem solving so I think that kind of tells you who I am okay and if if I were to attach some labels from a professional perspective Mm -hmm. how many different careers do you think you play in so it doesn't, it blows my mind and it doesn't always occur to me until I hear people speaking about me. And so media and communications, media practitioner, event host, TV host, author, speaker, mother, advocate, philanthropist. Those are pretty much the labels. Um, I fall in those buckets at some point in time or they overlap uh, concurrently. Fantastic. And I think one of the, the beautiful things about your career as an, as an overarching work in your life uh, is that you are living proof that you can do many things on a professional level and do them extremely well, which oh, is absolutely. exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for most people, what it is um, when they, you know, they may go to my website or they're in conversation or they may ask me you know, more questions or they may 
read a feature and they'll say, oh, for some people, I might be a beauty queen. I won mm. Miss Jamaica World in 2005. But then the story that most people know of me is the fact that I'm actually a doctor, that I studied veterinary medicine in Cuba, came home, and yet I am doing all of these things. And so it's... it's it's, it is showing you that regardless of what you study or what you choose to pursue, you can self-actualize in, in different areas and spaces, and it's okay. In, in this modern time, so here's, here's my first question, okay? Where do you think your country, specifically Jamaica, you're actually my third guest from Jamaica, so enough respect, and all of y'all oh, are doctors, J-A. so even better, you understand? Yeah. And so where do you think your country, Jamaica, and more specifically the Caribbean region, and maybe we can even extend to smaller regions, very similar to the Caribbean globally. Uh, where do you think it'll be in 10 years, given the pace of technological advancement, especially in AI? Um, I'm going to say that I, I hope, and because I've been privileged enough to serve as an event host so I'm in a lot of these rooms where the prime minister is a keynote or ministers are keynotes, what I can say is I think in 10 years, when people think of Jamaica, it won't only be about roots rock reggae. It won't only be about sea sun and sand. And it won't only be about jerk chicken and red striped bear and marijuana. I think mm. where we're moving in terms of the different sectors that we're building out actively, we've seen um, a, a, a very quick shift in our infrastructure from highways to buildings to sky rises. Uh, we've seen our investment coming to the island for things other than what I just I just mentioned. And I see where they're putting in active investment in technology, the area of science and technology, and how we can now become a part of the global market, not just from logistics hub standpoint, but exporting our talent. So the prime minister has made it very clear in a lot of his speeches that he absolutely hates when there are huge investors um, and investments to be made and global companies are interested in the Caribbean. They want to do business in the Caribbean. They want to expand and they may be looking for 50 specialized people in a particular area. And the reason why they don't come to the island is because you cannot find 50 people, which is just mind blowing. Mm. So I think that there is this, this, this active uh, strategy that is being put in place where in the next 10 years we will be, be exporting our talent and it won't just be in sports and gastronomy, but in science and technology and logistics and more specialized areas that we don't typically do in our schools or maybe areas that we've never even heard of, subjects we've never heard of. So I think and I hope that that is where we will be in 10 years. Beautiful. You said the word exporting, which... Hmm which is a, a very touchy topic, I think, for many people in, in our home countries mm-hmm. and this notion of brain drain. What, what's your opinion on, on brain drain? And I'll share mine. Um, I think it is a touchy subject. It will always be uncomfortable, but I think we have to look at the reality. I think for many of us as Jamaicans, our love is rooted in Jamaica. I think if you ask the typical Jamaican where they would love to work, build family, do business, it would be in Jamaica. But when opportunities are scarce, when resources are scarce, when many of us might get scholarships to go to other areas and then have the opportunity to start our livelihoods, it's very hard to look at that person and say, shame on you, or mm. to guilt them into wanting more 
from a different area that they can't get at home. I think what, what, what we're trying to do now, from what I understand and from what I see and from what I hear, is we want to be able to export that, that specialization but having people still rooted here. Mm. And that's why they're trying to build out the BPO and these different sectors because they want people to remain here but to be able to work remotely so they can get the best of both worlds. So I say the day our country, our region works on the areas that overlap, which is social, political, economic, financial, and we find that people can be comfortable here, then we will minimize the brain drain. But as mm. long as there is inequity and inequality, people will always go in search of where opportunities and resources are. And so we need to start looking at the root, the cause, trying to fix that. And then, of course, we will fix the symptoms, which is people leaving. I see. Okay, so I'll share. I'm not going to say it's a counter perspective. It's a slightly mm -hmm. shifted perspective. I actually think, especially in the field of tech, I think brain drain is the right strategy. From oh. the perspective of, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work at the top machine learning company in the world, like I was sharing with you when we were at that conference. And as I, I had shared, I think there's only 10 of us who are Caribbean out of 26,000 people who are global in that organization. That story. Mm -hmm. All right. So 10 out of 26,000 that we've, we've only discovered so far. And I share that because the pace at which I get to learn, the things that I get to learn mm -hmm. are at the forefront of machine learning. The things I get exposed to are at the forefront of AI, across all the things that you see. And I think that is very important because as a representative of my region, I now bring that into the fold, into mm -hmm. these global organizations. So I, I, all, I, to some degree, see highly skilled brain draining, if we can label it that, as uh -huh. an ambassador program where we go and we are like, to some degree, stealth warriors or Navy SEALs, whatever label you want to put on it, and we go there to represent and Come. to showcase the power of our people, to showcase what our people can do and to be global brand ambassadors for our regions. And I think the missing component in all, a lot of the people I've interviewed, especially from Jamaica, they all want to give back. There is, there is no shortage of we feel for the people at home, man. It's not like, yeah, I live in here, I sit on my couch, boy, you're real pressure for all it on there, you know. I love it. <laughs> you understand? True. But it's, it's actually not like that. They, they have an extreme deep compassion. Mm -hmm. And because they are even more aware of how wide the gap is, because when, when you're in high tech, et cetera, et cetera, like you get to see how far, even if I brought that infrastructure at home, how much time it'll take. And I think from that perspective, I would say working with governments, but more so on an individual level, having these programs, things like this podcast where we can transfer back perspective and say, hey, you know, instead of doing 12 years of school and all this kind of thing, school is a grade. Right, School is a mechanism for people to judge whether or not you're competent to complete a task. School has its importance, but also here are the things that you need to look out and, and, and raising the tide for all of us. So I, that's my, my current take on brain drain, given the, the folks that I've been interviewing who are all actually out of their home countries for the most part. Uh, and I think, and I, and, and I absolutely agree. I think the fear really is leaving 
and not coming back. And when I say mm. coming back, not necessarily physically. to set up home physically, but mentorship, mm. um, different programs, initiatives, uh, partnerships, collaborations to then say, hey, this is what we've learned. How about we do this? I think that is where the fear really comes from because I, I, I absolutely agree with you in terms of being able to see what is out there, what is implemented light years ahead, the kind of conversations that are taking place and are we prepared for those conversations? But I think it's the fear that when people leave, it's deuces. Yeah, like, yeah they're um, out. Exactly. Or, or you also have persons who do in fact want to help and they want to help with infrastructure and tech and these different platforms, but the bureaucracy and the red tape and the politics and the back and forth, and it becomes so hard for you to volunteer. And this mm. is a fact. Yeah. You have people who want to give money and hospital beds across various sectors, but by the time they get from point A just to point B, they've already lost five years, you go, you know what? This is too hard. It's too hard to give back. And I think that mm. is an area that we need to, to address. So sure, have them go learn, but then also make it seamless, regulatory, because we do understand, especially with tech and other sectors like finance, you want to regulate. But there has to be some seamless, encouraging space that allows that flow of information and implementation, I think, in a faster period. I would agree. I, I would definitely agree with that. Okay, so you are an expert in personal branding. I actually watched some of your videos and the thoughtfulness with which you put into, there was a multi-career video that you had where it was showing you in different outfits, sort of describing, you know, I think how you try to embody yourself and share um, who you are with the world. And I, I found yeah. that very profound from the perspective of, one, it was incredibly creative. Thank you. Uh, Two, it was, I think, very truthful in how we may all feel on the inside, but we actually maybe not don't express that out into the world because, hey, I study this, I have to be this, I do this, I have to do that. My family go laugh at me type of thing. And mainline tell you, in the Caribbean, when your, your family and friends, especially your family, start to make fun of you and thing, I That's don't it. think... It, it it different out there. Like we, I think we just have a gift of beating people down with words that right. we're very good at that. I think. Correct. So with that, why is building your personal brand important in today's age? I think, I think it's important um, because it one allows you to acknowledge that you matter who you are matters a, a lot of people tend to look at personal branding as just self-promotion and what i hope to do is to help people you know redefine it and look at it from a very different perspective a lot of us are walking around and you kind of alluded to it um, because we have a very weird relationship with humility and we have a very weird relationship with with fear and shame and culture okay and within our culture, our family and our friends are probably the most influential of all. I think when it comes to branding, what I am asking you to do or what I'm asking you to think about is the importance that you have while being here on this earth. You're not here to just exist. You're not here to just pass through. You're not here to do the bare minimum. 
But in my opinion, you are here to leave nothing else when you leave this earth that you would have given it your all, you would have laid it all out, you would have explored different facets that interested you, and whether you failed or whether you succeeded, you would have learned, you would have taken that feedback and go, hmm, how can I apply it to something else? And then to be proud of who you are and to celebrate yourself and then to communicate that, because that's really what branding is. After you've accepted that you matter, and you figured out what interests you and how you're going to do what you do, then you have to kind of communicate it in a manner that makes people say, hey, I'm here and I'm willing to serve in some way, shape or form. What tends to happen is people go, no, but if I talk about myself, it's going to look like I'm coming across as arrogant. I'm going to come across as looking cocky. I I need to be humble. And we want everybody to be humble, which means most people hold a lot of what they do very well to their hearts. Hmm. And what I will say is, you know, you branding yourself and speaking about what you do um, doesn't mean that you can't be humble. It just simply means that you're not denying your excellence. You're not denying your greatness. You're not denying your, your fortitude and your resilience, but you're just doing it in such a way that you do not make other persons feel as if you're speaking down to them. And I think that is where um, a lot of people, there's a, there's a very blurry, blurry line. So I'm not going to deny my excellence. If you ask me if I'm a good host, I'm going to tell you I am an excellent host. And I'm going to tell you that what I bring to the table is width and depth and creativity and storytelling. And years ago, I would not have said that. I would have just said, it's okay. So we deflect compliments, we decline compliments, and what I'm saying is accept it and then communicate it in a way that adds context and clarity. That is really what branding is and opportunities that exist when you open your mouth and when you put that talent on display are absolutely endless in this borderless world. Ooh, borderless world. I like that one. Well, <laughs> borderless digitally. Go on. Dig- digitally, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm getting, I'm receiving opportunities, Mark, all over the world because I am communicating what I do and how I do it and why I do it. And I am amplified. My voice is amplified because of tech and because of digital platforms. So now people from Malaysia, Africa, all over the world now come and say, hey, we would love to engage you for this, which would not have happened if I sat down going, I know I'm good, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Mm. It wouldn't happen. It really wouldn't happen. Yeah, even in, in my research on you and being exposed to you in a live event, I think that's there's so much more power that's communicated in a live event. Mm. Because one, here's what impressed me about when I saw you speak. We weren't in the the most grand of uh, venues. <laughs> uh, you were speaking as if there were 10,000 people and there was about 100, maybe 50 who were engaged and 10 who were actually properly engaged. And what really struck me is that you stepped out as a true professional. Yeah. And you don't necessarily see many people have that emotional fortitude and that commitment to excellence to deliver regardless of the actual scenario that's sort of occurring. And I, yeah. 
I, I wanted to applaud you publicly for that and 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 to say that that actually left a, a big impact on me just because I think we devalue ourselves because we're in a smaller place. Mm-hmm. Because we may not have the grandeur of these larger countries and institutions and mm-hmm. we belittle the the value that we can add to the marketplace oftentimes mm-hmm. and maybe where we rank ourselves globally and what I saw there, I was like, nah, this one bad, bad, world class. <laughs> the world class, you understand? No, I appreciate it. And it's it's interesting because whenever I do and 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 possibly that's why I love doing what I do. And you spoke about it earlier when people get to see what we do on big stages, when we actually leave our islands and we perform in a very magnificent way that people walk away going, yo, that's an, that's an islander, you know, that's Caribbean. I wonder if there are more like that in the Caribbean. Mm. But I, I think one of the biggest issues that we, we, we have is that we, our excellence is predetermined um, based on conditions. Whereas for me, my excellence is unconditional. My excellence does not shift based on how much you pay me. My excellence does not shift based on the role or the title that you give me. If I am a line worker, I will still outwork and outshine you as a CEO because my excellence is not waiting to get to the title of CEO to then be on display. My excellence is not rooted in how many people are in attendance and how many people aren't. I've made it up to myself. I owe it. I owe it to myself to show up excellently regardless. And when I do that, everyone around me benefit. They mm. just get the cherry. But when I leave a room or when I leave a space, I would have given you my all regardless of what's going on. And I think if most of us approach life saying, yo, I'm going to be great regardless of what other people are doing. If they don't want to operate on a certain level because maybe they don't like the boss, that has nothing to do with me. The relationships, interpersonal relationships also will not affect how I operate and how I function. And I think that's what has been one of the, I guess, superpowers for me. And I guess that's what you saw, regardless of what's going on, who I'm going to come and deliver because I owe it to myself and the integrity of my reputation Yes. To deliver. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like it's like, oh. Nah, nah. I, I, hmm. I, I, I real thing. I real thing. So we talked about personal brand and coming from an authentic perspective as a representation of your life. And I sometimes also think about it from the perspective of um, we are showcasing a path so that others can overcome their fear to pursue their own gifts, which I think is a beautiful thing. Um, in terms of a trickle effect, but when should I start a personal brand? It started a long time ago. <laughs> it's it's, okay. it's it literally started, and I think this is what um, is always interesting to me when I speak to university students and high school students. They'll say, "So, what age? What age? Or at what moment?" And I'm like, "Oh, you don't know you're a brand right now." And the look on their faces, and I'll say, "Hey." If I asked you who was the class clown, would you be able to tell me? And they'd say, yeah, we know who the class clown is. And I said, if I asked you who was the most studious in the group, would you, who's the most reliable? Who's the one with integrity? Who's the one who's always late? 
And they'll be like, yeah, all of us can pretty much, and I say, well, that's your brand. It's literally how people perceive you over a period of time based on how you show up consistently. And a lot of the times we are not conscious of it because we're just kind of moving through with the different phases and stages and we're not necessarily intentional about how we do that. And so I tell people, you've already started. People have already formed an opinion of you. The mm -hmm. question is, when are you going to become intentional about how you show up? Are you now going to be careful when you're posting that photo or video? Are you now going to ask yourself, hmm, could this send the wrong message? Could this be sending mixed signals? Is this congruent with what I say and, and what I do? Are we being intentional? Because we're already brands walking around the place. We're just not intentional about it. I think. Interesting. So I've, I've heard you say the word intention mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but quick, here's a quick client, uh, what you call it? Uh, I'm going to act as your client and, and yeah. you're helping me, my personal brand. So yeah. here's a challenge that I have. I'm very big into fitness. Mm -hmm. I know. And which means showcasing to some degree the results of fitness is might be showing half naked pictures of yourself. Okay. <laughs> and I think I've, struggle with that for many years mm -hmm. from the perspective of this is, you know, fitness is such a huge part of my life because I've seen it, you know, save my family members' lives, et cetera, et cetera. So I, mm -hmm. so I take it more from a, it is important, especially for parents to, um, to teach a child to live long. That is in, in my mind, the core responsibility of a parent. And, and they do that by embodying it in their own life and, and by, putting themselves through uncomfortable situations to keep their body strong, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think in, in terms of my own launching of a fitness brand, and as I charge this path in, in my professional career, I become maybe more exposed, more public, and then people will see, boy, oh, Dr. Mark Moy, oh, shit, I have naked picture any man over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I sometimes wonder when maybe authenticity sometimes is too much for mm -hmm. traditional, uh, I'll call it the corporate world. Uh, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's it's moderation and I think it's balance and I think it can be achieved. Um, going back to what we originally, you know, we said earlier is that um, we have to understand that people are not just one dimensional. We are multidimensional. We are multipotentialites. And even though we show up in professional spaces, we do have our personal lives and we have hobbies and we have interests that we pursue. And that could look very different to different people, especially in the corporate area. So for you, um, in my bio, for example, if I was even starting off with my bio or on social media, I'm not sure if you put in your bio, you know, that you are a data scientist, no? I do, yes. Right. So you probably have data scientists, but then I wouldn't just leave it at that. You know, I would have made sure that there is some reflection of the content that I'm going to post. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Data scientist by day, fitness enthusiast, enthusiast by night. Or what, but what you are doing is you're controlling the narrative. So the moment people hit the page, they know that you've already declared that you're a data scientist. So we know you're bright. We know you're brilliant. We know you are, as we'd say in Cuba, a super taco. But then <laughs> you are a fitness enthusiast. So then I expect to see you hmm. in the gym. I expect to see you working out. What happens is that when we have sterile profiles or we come across as this one thing, this one professional, 
one career person and then all of a sudden somebody scrolls and sees you in a swimsuit how is this here it's because maybe if you had added in your bio you know i am a chartered accountant but i'm also a beach babe everyone would understand okay when she gets time to decompress she's gonna go on the beach so there's a there's an expectation that you're already you're already putting it out there. So when people come across it now, there is no shock and there is no awe. Secondly, I'll always tell people that the art of storytelling is dead or dying because mm. people either don't believe in writing long captions or they think, oh, people are not going to read your captions, so they don't bother. And I think what that does is it, it allows people to interpret what they want to interpret. So if on the web we see a lot of men and women and all they're doing is putting up bodies and you know showing their bodies for many of them we know it's thirst trapping or that's what it may come across as mm -hmm. showing mm -hmm. off your body because you want to attract people to it when what you just said is you've seen the power of transformation it has saved the lives of your family members how different is it that that becomes a part of your message that when I show up on this page and I'm showing you my abs or I'm showing you my journey, it's because this is a promise that I am making to myself and to other generations that your health is really your wealth. At the end of the day, I can't even be a data scientist if I am not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so the question that I ask um, persons is, is your communication, that is your content and your captions also delivering a story? that makes people go, wow, I'm inspired by this, rather than going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and being judgy James. I so see. a lot of the narrative we have to control, and then what happens is that people follow our cues, and we take that for granted. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think one of my missions, my silent missions, is to, <clears throat> to change the default image especially our uh, indian come from chinad you know dal belly indian and, 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 and i see these young boys and then with you know where drinking is is your pedigree how much beers Correct. can you drink how much alcohol you can consume versus um i would love to see where hey how fit are you right how many people are you helping how much are you pushing yourself how much are you pushing your mind what have you learned lately and and loving to see that as a representation of our people, not only how much we could drink, how much we could lime, how much we could wine. Like our hips are very, you know, loose, but I think there's more to us than, than the, the amount of rotations our hip can go through Absolutely. to some degree. Um, Absolutely. And I think you do have a photo though. You do have a photo of, a, I think it was you in 2009 versus you in 2020, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that is not just a physical transformation. And, and, that, and that's where people always talk about my captions, right? Yes. I, I always storytell in my captions. Mm. There are so many lessons and so many takeaways from that one photo that goes beyond just fitness. But we're talking about this mental stamina. We're talking about consistency. We're talking about doing this thing, whether you are motivated to do it or not. People feel like you're only going to things when you're motivated. And just even seeing that before and after or not after, but your current, you know, there's so many stories that you can pull where it no longer becomes, oh, that's just Mark in a gym or whatever, but it becomes 
Do you know how much I had to do and overcome just to get to this? Mm -hmm. And whether someone is on a fitness journey or not, we can all respect that and we can all relate to that. So I think it takes moderation and balance between what your career looks like professionally and what your hobby looks like. And then ensuring that in your communication, you are weaving it so that people get a bigger picture of who you are and why this other thing is important to you. Hmm. Hmm. I have, I have a, a comment to, to mm-hmm. put your way. There's a, have you read this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You? Yes. What were your and thoughts on the book? Great. I like that book as well. Good to great. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading through that one. What were your thoughts on uh, so good they can't ignore you? Be so good they can't ignore you. Um, so, I mean, I don't... Okay, so mm-hmm. I don't agree. I don't always agree with everything. But what I do agree with is the concept. And I'm going to tell you why I believe it. The, the, okay. the concept works. When you are at the pinnacle of your sector, your industry, when you are absolutely fantastic at what you do, you will find that people's biases, um, because everyone walks around here with their own biases, people's hesitations or reluctances to hire you or to consider you or to promote you to a different um, space or to even refer you, you'll find that eventually those things have to subside because you are too good. Mm. You can't be denied. You can't be overlooked. Every room they go into, your name comes up. You are recommended. You are referred. That even when people have their own inclinations, biases, preferences, because you've come so good and you've established this reputation that is, I mean, undoubtedly impenetrable, people can't ignore you, even if they wanted to. They can't. They can't. I see. And I've experienced that in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that came out of that book for me from, from that perspective is sometimes it takes a long time for you to discover. Sometimes I think we know our gifts, but we're not necessarily guided to pursue them either being it may not be monetarily worthwhile to do that right versus it fills your spirit if you had only money in the world that's all you would be doing and but another thing that stuck out to me is sometimes this notion of switching careers very quickly when you don't have enough career capital accumulated in that other endeavor that you're hoping to go do um, those are two things but one of the things that stuck out in my life is this notion of being able to to take a lot of shit, meaning doing something for a very long time that you don't like to do in order to get to a place where you can do what you want to do. Um, And and the two examples that I highlight based on what you shared was, I don't like school. I have a PhD. And for those that know me, they know that I don't care about school. I I value its importance in in sort of the system itself and Mm -hmm. what it can do for others. In addition, fitness, I, I don't like working out. I really don't. I, you know, it, it, there's, you learn to endure pain over time, but it's a very painful activity. Yes. And, and if you're very intentional about it, you have to continuously apply more and more pain 
to your body, to your mind to continuously grow, if that's sort of so what you're you, seeking. Uh, so I, I think this notion of enduring, like you just said, mental stamina, physical stamina, uh, but inducing stress onto your onto your system in addition to doing something you might not like for a while to get the opportunities. Can you share your perspectives on that? Um, first of all, I thought they were brilliant examples and nobody likes to hear this. Uh, I, and, and I understand because in the world that we live in now, even when I scroll on social media, you know, I'm seeing 21 year olds seemingly, you know, making seven figures and they're doing this with a computer in Bali and they didn't do this and they didn't like that. And so they just went and created and the more and more people see that side whether it is true or not it becomes very appealing mm -hmm. everyone wants that that instant gratification where somehow you fall into finding the perfect job that pays you the perfect amount that gives you the freedom and you just live in life and so the moment people get into jobs and they feel a little bit of resistance or they don't get the pay that they thought they would or, you know, they just got the degree or the master's. So they assume because I have the master's, I should now be on this level and they don't get it. It becomes a, I'm not doing this. Forget that. And, and that is how it has become. Um, and I am not saying that anyone should stay in any space where they're being exploited. And I needed to be very clear about that. But what I've come to realize is that where I am took years to hone and craft where I am took doing jobs for free, okay? Because sometimes just to get in the room or just to get the experience, just for you to have a, a lay of the land when you are not known, sometimes you have to do something for free and then you get the leverage as opposed to, no, 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 I'm not doing anything for free. There are things and decisions that you have to make there, is, there, there are times when you are honing your craft in the dark. You are the seed under the ground when nobody no know even exists. But because you are watering and because you are nurturing, and sometimes that's going to be in spaces that you don't like. You may not like the team that you're on. You may not even be pursuing the thing that you always thought you'd pursue. But guess what? It still doesn't mean that you can't learn and learn about corporate and life and people and how to work with people and how to be a team leader and how to be a leader. All of those things you are still learning even when you don't like what you're doing. And when you jump out very quickly, you rob yourself of the opportunity to understand resilience and understanding elasticity and flexibility and knowing how to you know, adapt and, and do many different things because you want the easy way. And the easy way, I hate to break it to people, but if it looks too easy, chances are something is wrong with it. Hmm. And so to your point, and I thought there were brilliant points, is that, yeah, it takes a very long time. And even as it takes a long time, you are still learning if you are open to learning. And even as people compliment me saying I am amazing on a stage and I'm great at what I do, I am constantly reading the room. I'm constantly readjusting. I am constantly learning from the people who are speaking on the stage. And I never take it for granted that I have arrived. 
And I think in order to be so great that people can't ignore you is to understand that this is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and that you are to constantly reassess and learn from other people around you. And if you're looking for the fast life, well, you might get it for a short period of time, but it will not be sustainable. Hmm. And I don't know if you will have a legacy where people go, that impact was just solid and amazing. Not if you want instant gratification all the time. I see. I see. You you mentioned something earlier on that you're an introvert. Yes. And I would have classified, naturally classified you as an extrovert. Let's say if we were using labels, I know we're more than that. We are. And I would have probably classified myself as an extrovert as well. Mm-hmm. From the perspective, you around a lot of people, the energy which you bring into a room. One of the silent, I would call it a fear that I have is that for the younger people, and I'm, I'm more focused on younger people because I, I tend to find that the older, well, people who are of age. More mature. More mature. Yeah, let's find the right labels here. I'm in trouble. Tend to have that fixed mindset versus mm-hmm. the flexible mindset. Correct. And what what's your advice to someone who, who does align more to an introverted label mm-hmm. and this notion of sharing who they are publicly mm-hmm. is not one easy for them Two, I think is sometimes uh, I, I've, I've seen people who are more than that side. It's very difficult for them to share and it's not. Yeah. What would you say to those folks, especially younger, younger women? That's a well. brilliant question. That's a brilliant question. I'm going to answer it two ways. One to the introvert and one to the, the, the more mature or the senior leaders or the decision makers or the hiring um, managers. Because this is, a, this is a cultural thing where it is deemed that, you know, the person who is louder than life, you know, larger than life is the one who's affable and amicable and personable and bubbly and everyone is attracted to that person. Automatically, it means that that person is the better worker or the better choice. And that's a default. And what I want to do is I want to challenge the persons who are team leaders, supervisors, senior managers, executive managers, to understand that great performers come in different packages. Mm. And it is your duty as a good leader, as a great leader, as an excellent leader, to look at the person in front of you and assess the skill sets and the skills that this person has, even if it doesn't come with this fireworks, pie, pie, pie energy everywhere, because there is power and there is strength in introversion. A lot of the times, because they are usually watching, they are active observers, they are active listeners, a lot of the time they are registering things in a room that the average person does not, because they're not doing this all the time and there is power um and i think that we need to be more balanced in how we promote and who we promote and it shouldn't just be based on somebody being more likable or more affable in in social spaces that is for the people who are hiring because i think that that needs a cultural shift for my introverts what I will say is, you know, you have to be very careful how you even take on the label as introversion, um, because people naturally think that introversion means you're just shy, you're locked off, and you just can't deal with social spaces, which is actually not true. So I think 
one, we need to be very careful how we look, how we take on the label. That's number one. Number two, the reason why I use social media so well and I'm a power user is because for an introvert, we don't network very well hmm. in social spaces. And people have noticed this about me after I've confessed that I'm an introvert. They've noticed I come into a space extremely early. I'm never on the red carpet. I'm. You probably will notice it now that I'm speaking to you. And now, I'm always working. You never see me off in the side having small conversations. And the moment I have finished my job and I say, have a good night, get home safely. It has been a pleasure serving you. I disappear. Even people who come looking for me to compliment me have to send me like a LinkedIn message to say, sorry, we couldn't catch up because after I've given all of my energy, the idea of networking with people afterwards scares the bejesus out of me. I, I, I want to go far away and stay in my room, pick up a book and just keep my company. I use social media in the particular way because I want to be very particular about who I attract. And so a lot of the time, how I use social media does all the work for me. So instead of having to go into physical rooms and having to meet people to show people what I do, which to me gives me brain freeze, I use social media. And what that does is it attracts the right people who then send their emails, their messages, and then we can really, we can engage in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, which is what I, I prefer as an introvert. Um, and lastly, what I would say is, you, even if you are an introvert, you still have the power to choose wisely what you want to share and how you want to share it. You are not required to share your information or who you are the way an extrovert would. That is not necessary. So do not compare do not compete. You know where your strengths are. Work to your strengths. Share your strengths. Speak about your strengths. And it's okay if you even admit, I can be a little bit reserved. I can be an introvert. Because what you also do is you, you now set up again with clarity people's expectations of you. But I'd be very careful because um, being an introvert does not necessarily mean that you're shy or that you can't carry out functions in a public space. And I don't think that people should make those things, um, should separate those things. Mm. I was, I was enlightening. And, and I wanted to share an experience that happened to me during the conference with which I met you. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've discovered that I have this very strange stress response to events. Mm. And this is uh, something that I actually wanted to I'll, I'll take up with you later in the conversation. But I put on my first conference and getting closer to the conference, all of a sudden I started to get sick and my voice started, throat started mash up. I taking all kind of steroids or kind of thing. Boy, my throat ain't one of buds. Lozenges. I, lozenges, lime. I chewing ginger, garlic, all kind of madness. My friend make a soup for my gun Atlanta. The man make my rasta partner make a soup for my... I try anything, anything. My throat saying, nah, you ain't talking, you ain't talking. And as they're getting closer, my throat started to seize up more and more. Man, the event done by open up. And in the event when I met you, as I was getting closer and closer to my talk, um, 
you, my head, I started getting very intense headaches. And when I was done, I was like, I was sick. I had to leave immediately. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been doing a lot more exploration on, on, in my own personality on, on energy and conserving your energy and protecting mm-hmm. how much of that you give to others. Cause I'm, I'm very giving and open, but I, I do also notice now that I receive and I pick up and I hold on and, and it, it actually drags me down. And so discovering, I don't like to say the more introverted, the, the more silent part of myself and, and finding where that power is. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how you balance and, and maintain that energy in events and also keep your voice <laughs> ready? Listen, listen. First of all, you did a magnificent uh, presentation. I, I told Alex, who's my executive liaison, and I mean, whenever I'm in the room, I, I listen to every single speaker which always surprises a lot of people, regardless of whether I'm hosting an eight-hour day or a nine-hour day. I listen to every single speaker. I walk away with takeaways from every single speaker, and I usually share my takeaways. And everybody's just like, you know, you know how, 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 how do you do it? And I think it's because um, the part of us that are active listeners um, is extremely important. But what I wanted to say was that I found your presentation amazing and i told alex that it was my favorite presentation in terms of just being precise and concise and the manner in which you presented the information and even the slides i thought it was just well done and if you hadn't told me that you know you kind of start to feel like a little way i would not have known you looked you looked like you were born to do presentations Mm. on a stage in front of people so i just thought um i should should let you know that one the protection of peace and sanity my joy and my happiness is 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 paramount it's one it's number one the persons who follow me on social media they 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 know i protect my peace and whenever i feel as if i need to disconnect and recharge i tell people i i don't do the whole you know i am on a no Sometimes I'm unavailable because I need to recharge and I need to refuel and people respect when I'm honest enough with them. Um, Number two, I am intentional about the spaces that I go into. Hmm. A lot of the times we get invitations for everything and everywhere. And I I say no to about 85% of them because, again, I have to protect my energy. I don't want to be everywhere. I don't want to be everything to everyone either. And so for me, I tend to stay home a lot or I like more intimate settings with my people, my core that I know we're always pouring into each other um, because I do find that social settings drain you because so many people want to have conversations. And then when you get home, it's just like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? Um, And then when it comes to the events that I choose, I'm even more particular about the events that I say I will be a part of. Uh, and I think that's because we all should be intentional about our associations and our alignments. And when you become the host, for example, when I become a host, I become the face and the voice of that event. I become the face and voice of my client. And so I need to ensure that this client or this particular objective of this event aligns with my personal um my, my principles and my values. And so when I'm intentional and very particular, what's th- what starts to happen is I niche down, which actually puts me in spaces I want to be in, not spaces that I have to be in. And that can mm. be very 
instrumental when you're trying to protect your peace and your joy and your sanity and your energy. And so I get a lot of freedom in choosing the rooms I want to be in. When it comes to protecting my voice, what I typically do, especially this is something you are going to have to do a lot of, I do not plan back to back. So okay. if I am doing an eight to four day conference, for example, which I've done many times, I've done a four day conference. I'm going to take days to allow my body to rest. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to do all the events back to back to back to back. So I try to balance it out. If I do a full day, that's a lot on my voice. I want a break and I will probably do an event. That's a two hour event to not have that strain that exactly and during the event you will typically see alex bring a little cup and the little cup usually has honey and when i go back to my hotel room or wherever the accommodations are after a very long day oh i am going to be doing my lozenges sucking on my um my my fisherman's in fisherman's What's it? Fisherman's friend. That's a lozenge that we use here in Jamaica. Mm, uh, buying that. My, I have my honey, and that is how I manage my voice. And I don't do any talking. So after I have long days, which is going to be important for you to know as well, is after a very long day of hosting, I go in and I do not communicate with anyone. Because if it's a two-day conference or a three-day conference, I have to maintain the quality of my voice. And so that is something that you have to manage for very long processes during the day and over a period of time. Hmm, that's, moderation always. That's that's some some fire advice. I have I have I think this is free consultation. Probably, yeah, yeah, free, free. <laughs> this this will be the weirdest question, and I, I can guarantee you have not heard across all your interviews. Let's see. L let's talk about bladder control. <laughs> I've never got this, but I know where you're going. That's a skill. That is a skill, and it is a skill for you to have even noticed it or figured it out or observed it. That's pretty interesting. And I'll, I'll share the perspective that I'm coming from. There is the the balance between I, I've learned in, in my events that I've been doing. Um, there's a balance between hydration and and release. So how do you find that balance? Because if you're not hydrated and you're talking the entire event, that can have significant effects on you. Like in, in my two-day conference, my three-day conference, the second day, I was about to go on stage and I literally couldn't go. I literally had to go to the hotel room because I, I, I passed out. Really? From, yeah, from dehydration. Because, you know, you're just running, you're going, and I, I was right. very cognizant of that, right? Even right. in the event that I I came with you, usually I, I fast in the morning, so like I'll eat at like 11 o'clock. But I learned that, hey, coming into these events, this is like a this is like a legit physical activity, so I need to actually fuel my body coming into something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Great, great, great question. Um, I've never had to, to speak. In, in fact, funny enough, as much as people ask me how I do what I do, and I see even more youngsters wanting to pursue event hosting because of what they see me do, mm -hmm. 
funny enough, it's never these questions that I get. I get the public speaking. I get how do I, you know, choose my attire? How do I research? But this is actually quite fascinating what you've asked me. Um, number one, um, you made a brilliant point, And it's a point that a lot of people underestimate, including clients. It is a physical job. I go, I can't count how many times I go upstairs and I come downstairs and I'm in heels and I walk across and I'm always paying attention and I'm always on point. If anything has to be done, if an announcement has to be made, if there's a change or I feel like there is a change, but my client is not getting my glance, I have to walk over to my client. I, you, you are never, well, I can only speak for myself. You are never not moving. And a lot of the times when I go back to my house or I go back to my hotel room, physically, I can feel my legs, my calves, the sides, my back. I can feel the tension from that physical work. Um, so number one, rest is extremely important, especially when you're leading up to an event that is going to take a lot out of you, whether you're a pro or not, it is physical and we underestimate it. And so for me, rest is extremely important. Number two, when it comes to hydration, it is absolutely necessary. I drink and I urinate. Sorry guys. I mean, if it's <laughs> we urinate. But yeah. I, I, I do that. I release before I get to my event. Hmm. And I do that because for me, a lot of times, again, I am usually doing very high level events, panelists, moderators, things are being shifted, keynote speakers, all of this. If I leave a room for a second, and this is how I feel, I can lose a lot of information mm -hmm. or something that could have been critical or pivotal or something happens on the stage. And when everyone looks for the host, not she's there. not around. What does that look like? It has never happened to me. So I hydrate and I release before I go into my, into my space. Hmm. Typically, I do not drink for the first hour, to be very honest. Know that okay. you're asking me to, you're asking me to kind of drill down. I will take a drink during the coffee break mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. release during a coffee break. Gotcha. If there is um, a speaker, I also look a lot at my time. So if I know that there's a speaker who has 45 minutes to speak, I will slip out if I, if I have to. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, I drink maybe two to three times for a very long conference. What? Yeah. Wow. So most people will probably notice it now that we're having this conversation is that I'm always in the room. No, I notice that. I see you by the stage the whole time. I say, but when this woman yeah. going so on being a human? Correct. So I will slip out for coffee breaks and most of the time everyone is dispersed. Mm. or I will, And I will slip out for lunch. But I have to... And, and it's not always water. Water okay. passes through you much faster than any other liquid. If hmm. I drink water, I'm going to have to excuse myself a lot more. If you can get juice, Gatorade, um, juices that will still keep you hydrated, but you're not going to be um, having the urge to release as often, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what it is. So you see me drinking water when I know I'm coming up on a 
lunch break because I have time. Yes. But in between, I'm having juices because it, it reduces by far the amount of times I have to go to the bathroom. I, you know, I'm not... You just made I, it a science. <laughs> I I think this is the, the depth of excellence to which you go to because... I don't think many people actually realize that a majority of heart attacks actually come from dehydration. Mm. So when you're dehydrated consistently, uh, your blood is thicker. Your yes. heart has to pump harder to push this thick fluid through your body. All over. Mm-hmm. All the time, all the time. And I see that a lot in corporate America. People just sit on and I'm eating for hours and they wouldn't drink anything and not yeah. necessarily realizing that um, inherently they're putting a lot of stress on their hearts. For sure. So looking at you as an athlete i look at you as an athlete because i don't see many other people embody as much of their body into their speaking craft as i see you do thank you and and there there are many moments where there's a burst of energy and there's a burst of energy and you consistently do that over a long period of time that's one two another thing i think most people don't pay attention to is the actual caloric expenditure of your mental your consistent mental focus and how much calories that is consuming absolutely during the day so it's it's you know i'm 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 personally taking notes because the next event i go in i it's me and gatorade i watch in for when i go in the bathroom there you know because yeah yeah your timing is your timing is your timing is everything and what you so i'll i prefer water before fine Hmm. during I'm always going to be drinking some kind of um, juice, and I and I appreciate your, I appreciate what you just said. I I really do. I think even over the years, I underestimated what I did, and what I do, um, until people started saying, "How is this physically and mentally possible that we are sitting as attendees?" And we are relaxed, and we get to go out and come in, and we are already busted. By one o'clock, mm-hmm. we still have four more hours left, and you are just still on point with the takeaways, the announcements, and it 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 comes with with time, and it comes with finding your rhythm as well, hmm. um, which is something that that is extremely important. To not present the way you believe people expect you will, but to find what suits you best. Because when you find your rhythm and your momentum and what suits you best, you operate from a place of comfort and freedom, liberty, where you are not afraid to run a joke and to throw back your head. And and that's the kind of host I am. Whereas probably if I thought there was a particular way in which I should present half of the things that you experience as an attendee where I'm concerned, you, you simply wouldn't. Hmm. I think until I saw you speak, I follow a lot of motivational speakers. That's just been critical to my own mental uh, strengthening over the years. But until I saw you speak, and and I've seen other top speakers like Tony Robbins, et cetera, et cetera, and recognizing the physicality of that particular craft. And in addition, can you talk talk about the importance? I think when people think about event, oh, you're just an event host. Yeah, yeah, coming on. Yeah, announcing some people and yeah, yeah, yeah reading off a little thing. Yeah, like keep a everybody. Thing. Yeah, you understand? But I, I've come to appreciate, appreciate it more as a very, to some degree, almost sacred act in terms of you are commanding the energy in the room. So yes. can you talk about 
what do you try to make people feel when you mm-hmm. host an event? A uh, beautiful, very, very beautiful question. Um, I think once upon a time, that's what event hosts were. Um, and again, mm. I, I'm speaking about my standard. I, I'm not saying that my standard is for everyone. Um, but once upon a time, you know, an event host really came in and you you kind of set the ground rules, you set the housekeeping, and you just said, up oh, next is so and so and so. And you kind of keep it very sterile. You know, that's my word. Keep it moving. You get the job done. Uh, but I am, I am a feeler. Uh, mm. I feel people. Um, I experience people and I live for experiences. And that's why I go back to, I, I, I'm in the room I want to be in because I want to feel that and I want to be a part of the experience. And so for me, when I go on the stage or I accept a job, I'm not just accepting it as an event host. I am the experience. And if anybody wants to take up hosting and think that you're going to separate what you do from the experience, then you are probably not in the right space. I am the experience. Um, and, and I am there to make it everyone's worthwhile. Number two, it is never about me. Even though I am the face and the voice on that stage and I'm commanding everyone's attention and I'm engaging everyone, it is never about me. It is always about the audience. And it is always about whether you are meeting the objectives and are you making the deliverables that you honored to do on behalf of your client. So I can do anything I want to do on that stage because I am not afraid of how I look. I know I am meeting my objectives and I know that I'm creating an experience for other people. Number three, and probably one of my biggest differentiators is um, I always ask who's in my audience. I don't care if it's one Japanese person in the audience. If I find out from the registration list that there is a Japanese in the audience, I am going to come in and I'm going to say, Yokoso, konnichiwa. Because I understand that language is tied to culture, is tied to pride, is tied to the heart of who people are. And so if I speak and I say, Yokoso, I am telling that person in that space, you are valued. We see you as a minority in the entire crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and my, my clients never expect this. No one ever knows what I'm going to do. They kind of tell me their objectives and they leave me. And so imagine I go to the Caribbean investment, um, forum in Trinidad and Tobago. And in that audience, we have Suriname, Holland. We had so many different people there. And I asked how many nationalities are there? And I greeted every single one of them. Some languages I am more fluent in. Some I might have just learned Korean because there's a Korean and it may not sound as smooth, but I'm not afraid to sound stupid in speaking to someone's heart Hmm. because Nelson Mandela said it. If you speak to a man in a language he understands, then you speak to his head. But if you speak to a man in the language he speaks, you speak to his heart. And that is something that I find has always made people go, I've been acknowledged. And nothing is better as a part of an experience than making your attendees feel acknowledged on a cultural level and research. My superpower Mm. is my level of research. Um, 
I know my client. I know they sometimes give me speaking notes. Most of my clients don't. And they are shocked when I go up and I say, for example, this client in 1999 did so and so and so. Or did you realize that in 2020 and 2022, this is things that they never told me. But if I'm going to honor you to be your event host, I also understand that it is my duty to educate and inform and advise and connect all the dots of why we are here. And so um, those are the things that I incorporate for it to be a part of the event. And finally, um, brand colors. If you invite me to host your event and your brand colors are red, I am going to come in red. I am going to come in blue. Whatever your brand color um, is, I am known for finding outfits with the exact colors as just a, an add-on, a value added to show that I acknowledge, again, the importance of your brand. And I've incorporated it in how I present myself. And this is why I have to be particular about the events I choose, because when I go in, I go all in. I immerse myself. You're bad, you know? You're bad. <gasps> you're bad, you're bad. <laughs> I think... Um... As a, as a student of of greatness, as a student of people who really master their craft in, in this conversation so far, I'm picking up so many things in the details that you go to. And even last night, about one o'clock this morning, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do more questions in the morning. No, no. I'm doing my research and I'm watching all the videos. I say, boy, you realize who you're interviewing? What happened to you if you come and you bring, you know, so if you do your research, it's real. You know, real thing to catch, oh, but so so your so far, um, I'm definitely enjoying the conversation, Thank and you. some of the things that I think are very important for people in the audience and and a hallmark of Caribbean people, I think to some degree is the energy with which we bring into a room. Mm -hmm. Can you speak about how you manufacture energy? And I use that word very intentionally because oh. to me, it's your manufacturing. Um, how do you manufacture energy when you walk into a room? I think from the get-go, when I walk into a room or before I even walk into a room, I walk into a room knowing that I belong there. Hmm. And with hmm. that, there's a power in that. Um, a lot of us walk into rooms still doubting our purpose and our reason for being there. When I walk into a room, I already walk in knowing I belong here. And I think that already sets, up, sets my energy up for what I'm about to do. Um, when I also walk into a room, and the reason why I go early is I hear conversations. I see people coming in. I get a good lay of the land. And automatically, um, how I also manufacture my energy is I start thinking about the stories that align or the stories that can be relatable, that can be engaging, that can be funny. Uh, and, and, and that's because a lot of people don't expect it. They expect us to start with a good morning, you know, welcome, and you just roll on. You just kind of roll in. Whereas um, I always think about the stories and how we as Caribbean people always have a particular thing that we can say that gets people nodding. You see people nodding. You see people. I start to formulate in my head how I'm already going to open up for this particular event. 
whether it is a story that I have experienced or is it something that I heard or read about and I build a story and then I say, and that is why we are here. Welcome to so-and-so. And so my energy, and I already, so, so that's, a sec, that's a second part which comes with how I, I, I host. And the third part is I protect that energy for the entire time. Mm. So you will realize that I stay by the stage and I'm constantly listening. I'm constantly formulating. I've gone to events where they have me, you know, they have a seat out there for me during lunch and you know, I can sit with the CEO and everything. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Mm. I stay in my space because in my space, I'm always focused, always churning, always connecting things and going, hmm, I didn't realize that Mark had said that earlier, which I never spoke about, but I'm going to figure out a way to weave it back in. And that is how I maintain my energy. I'm not flitting about all over the place, trying to talk to everybody and meet everybody and try to get more work. I'm so calm and so focused. And every time I go on the stage, it is a joy for me hmm. to express and share. And because I look at it as joy in this exchange, and it's not, oh God, it's a duty. You see that energy all the time because I'm excited about what is being said or I'm excited about the prospects. And so what you see is actually sheer joy, unadulterated joy while I'm on while I'm on I definitely stage. feel that. And and I think you, you made a tech conference feel joy. And I was like, oh, whoa, cool. We're here. Yeah. All right. This is interesting. And <laughs> I think people truly underestimate as I'm in AI machine learning all that stuff and like i was telling you if i if i do my job really well yes to some degree i will replace many people's jobs mm-hmm. in addition i will also open up the avenue for people to discover new parts of themselves by being accelerated by ai and i think in this in this age where people are not necessarily talking about replacement but they know shifts are coming Yes. across many different domains and yes. jobs there's a search for like oh shit what's the skill set that this thing can replace <laughs> and i think you might find a lot more people becoming event hosts and and the reason why i think this is an underestimated path and one of the paths that you can take is that sales all of these companies that Fortune 100, blah, 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 it's all about sales. Everything that we have in our homes has come from either money that has come from, first it was our parents that supported us, then money that you earn through your company or through some other organization. Correct. And each of those organizations had to sell. Correct. And what you do in an event is you are communicating that brand's personality, energy into those people to hopefully manifest to some degree either alignment with that brand for future sales or even just alignment with the brand in general Awareness. on a personal level. Correct. So I, I, I see it actually as a very important role that for corporate people to choose and, and to recognize this power to communicate and transfer energy to people as a, as a very serious skill. Yes. And not to just thinking, oh, wow, you know, she's, 
yeah, well, she could talk and she move on. It, it's more than that. It's very, and in this conversation, I've, I've learned the deeper levels of how calculated it is and how intentional. It's very intentional. Very it's, intentional. You're having saying intentional more and more. Um, yeah, man. It's, it's, it's important. And, and, you know, there's a, another part of, of the career as we grow into the people we are that as Caribbean people, we have a hard time doing and that is pricing ourselves, mm. placing a value on what we do, especially when you do something that's abstract or something that cannot be seen as tangible. Um, I consider myself to be a part of the creative industry because everything yes. that I do is a lot of the time intellectual, how I put things together and how I take what the CEO said as a keynote and then I tie it back into the panel and then I tie it into some news that was global. All of that is taking place here creatively. And so I consider myself to be a part of the creative industry. And a lot of creatives, um, one of our downfalls is we can create and ideate and we can execute. And when it comes to the business aspect of pricing and how we structure our business and how we do follow-ups and how we deal with our clients and treat with our clients are two completely different things. And there's a huge disparity in the Caribbean. And I've heard global clients complain about this, mm. that they will engage people within the Caribbean, usually in the creative industry. And it's either you can't reach them, they don't respond, they don't email, or when they email, it is not timely. And then they kind of do the job or they're kind of doing the job, but then they ghost you when you're trying to get the deliverables and then it's to get the invoice. And, and, I, and I think what we have to do more of is as Caribbean people, we understand that we are creative and we can ideate and we can do all of these things. But there has to be structure and formalities as well with how you deal with people. Hmm. Whether you are a one-person business or not, you treat it like it's a Fortune 500 business. Number two, in terms of pricing, I think there has to come a point in time when you no longer fear giving your price. And you cannot fear people saying, well, we can't afford you, and can you lower your price? You have to be okay with saying, hopefully we will meet another day. There is a fear that you will lose business. There's a fear that you won't make money if your prices are too high. And I'm here to tell people, when you set your price, which is always to be reassessed based on your demand and based on how much you continue to grow, hmm. when you make your price, you are to honor it. If you're going to give people a big price, make sure that when you deliver, they go, wow. So now I've moved from going back to your original question, like before about, you know, event host, people just think it's a little ting and ting. Before it used to be that. And so people used to kind of give a little ting and ting. Mm. At some point in time, you may have to redefine how you take on a role, even if you didn't have an example before you. And that means that you now have to come up with a pricing structure. And I'm here to tell you that there are clients who will change their dates. There are clients that will eliminate items that were originally on their budget to accommodate you because you've gotten so good, you cannot be ignored. But if you want to still go and kind of play with your gift and, boy, maybe they're not going to pay me this amount, then they won't. They won't. 
And so what I want to see, if there's anything else that comes from this conversation, is that as we continue to hone and improve and reach that pinnacle, our pricing structure must reflect it. Because what we don't want people to feel is that they can get the best for like a pittance. We mm -hmm. don't want that. And there are people who pay foreigners to come in to speak and they're paying them 10,000 US, 15,000 US, 25,000, 150,000. And you are a powerhouse speaker and you still trying to figure out whether you want to speak for free or not. Make your price. Stick to your price. Those who can't afford it, they're not your target. The ones who can afford it will honor you, honor your value, and you will then attract more people like them. Very well said, and, and I think it fits very well with this notion of being a tech pioneer because I consider you a global speaker. I do not consider you a Jamaican speaker. You come from Jamaica. You represent Jamaica. Correct. But with the the prowess and de attention to detail and intentionality that you bring to your craft, uh, which is representing global brands or um, taking that serious role of not being aligned with the, the organization before, coming in in a short period of time, feeling their audience and delivering their message to an unknown audience to you, to some degree. Um, I think there are many facets of that that are quite fascinating. And I think definitely you'll see people start to pay more attention to it when they come, they have a part of their work is gone and their boss say, well, I didn't really need you. you know? So yeah. So that, that that's quite interesting. And I, and I do think that's a fantastic strategy for a lot of people in the Caribbean because I think even your Caribbean counterparts will say, but yeah, why are you charging that? Like you, you from here, where it is, you know? And the same Caribbean person who working out there ain't changed nothing. They just in a different location, different brand. They come there make about go. ten times more money. You understand? Yeah. So you got to honor your brand, honor your brand, and honor your craft, and people will follow suit. If you do not respect and honor your brand, do not expect other people to do it for you. Hmm. They're not. Well, I think we have about nine minutes. If 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 we go by the clock, all right. So I have only about, I like to tell you, about a third away through my questions. Okay. So, however, however, I, I want to make sure that the, the young people who are in this situation where they are being exposed to a new reality of the world, a new reality of career, one in which where um, Previously, I, I would have said that following your passions is an American thing. That's an American narrative because I think in America, you have a lot of the infrastructure with which to monetarily uh, get paid for that particular gift. Whereas in the Caribbean, I don't, I don't think a lot of that infrastructure is there for us to manifest our talents in a financially viable way. So we always have to you know, keep the money on the table and do the thing on the side. Hustle. Now, with that being, yeah, and that hustling, I, 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 I hustling too, don't study that. I hustling on this podcast, everything, you know. <laughs> and I, I think there's, to some degree, value in that, but oftentimes the strategy changes. So what would you say to a young person at home where their family is seeing one view of the world, 
they're being exposed to a different view of the world. They don't necessarily have a lot of the financial mechanisms with mm-hmm. which to make a, a life, you know, a fruitful life for themselves. Because as I look at the economies in the in the region, I'm like, what jobs people going to school and coming into? And I'm like, is that the infinite jobs? Like we keep churning out students to like come into this job market. What what job market are they coming into? Right. And that's that's a question that I constantly ask myself. And this is why I'm so passionate about um, tech and code and media. So previous systems of wealth have been built on human capital, having more capital, and all of those things are just mechanisms of leverage. Mm-hmm. Whereas code and media, those are permissionless systems of leverage, meaning I don't need someone's permission to code something, put it out there, make someone. I don't need someone's permission to do a podcast with you or for you to host an event or for you to even put out your own podcast. Your own, I don't need permission or you don't need permission to do that to affect the world and to uh, make a name for yourself. So what, what's your, what advice do you have to the young people at home? Because like mm-hmm. I said, the, the folks who are of age and, and more mature, they're kind of in the system and yeah. they can navigate, they have contacts. That is a massive, you, you know that that is a massive question, right? That is a, that's a, that's a huge question and, and, and I totally understand. And even culturally, I've met youngsters who have had to go to school to study medicine because their parents literally told them, if you're not studying medicine, I'm not paying tuition for anything else. I've literally met so many students who've had to go and pursue careers that they had no interest in, but their parents just kind of said it's either or. Um, this is a rough pill to swallow because of the Mm. narrative that you spoke about where everyone just kind of said, follow your passion. But I think it's important for us to also understand our realities. Um, I think it is important for us to do what we have to do with what we have right now. Um, and, And hear me out. For a lot of us, the opportunities that we get later on to have the freedom to pursue our passion came because we decided to just try something now. To be okay with just temporarily learning some things in a space that may not be what you want to do, but I always think that there are lessons to be learned regardless. What I have come to realize is that in any space that you are put in, whether you like it or not, whether it is your passion or not, if you still apply yourself with uh, 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 with, with a measure of honor, I will always go back to honor and value and commitment and dedication. What you typically find happening is that the universe conspires for you. What tends to happen is doors and windows and little hole in the ground starts to open up and you start to get exposed to other people, new people, new spaces that, that expose you to things that may align to your passion, it may actually help for you to get on that trajectory or it could actually expose you to something that you didn't know is in fact your passion. When I speak to youngsters, and a lot of people don't like to say it, a lot of the times we believe we know what our passion is early on Mm. out. And sometimes we don't. I studied veterinary medicine, and if anybody asked me, or told me in 20 years I would be doing what I'm doing now, I would have told him, you're crazy. Had 26 animals, vet med was it, 
went to school, got the grade, did everything right. And then I realized, oh, host, media, communication, but I don't know what that is. I don't even like it. Well, what is it? And I've come to realize that that is my passion. I think we kind of have to sometimes ride the wave. I think it is more important for us to be more curious than we are passionate, to be very honest. I think it is, if I could tell youngsters anything, I would tell them, be curious. Because by being curious, you leave yourself open to be in any space where you can absorb and assimilate and internalize and then find out if what you thought was your passion is really a passion or if you should stick to this thing that you thought wasn't your passion that turns out to be your passion. But everything is not going to all happen the way you like it. What I will also say is start to build communities and become part of communities that you can dibble and dabble in to see if what you say you're passionate about is true. We find more youngsters getting their art in galleries because they are part of intentional communities that showcase mm. art, black art, or whatever it is. So you also have to be active. You're not always going to get the support of your family or your friends. So you might be getting your information, insights, and support from communities that already exist and can also be launching pads and stepping boards or stepping stones for you where your passion is concerned. So I'd say you have to do two. You have to move with people who are moving in the space where you're passionate about because they will leave breadcrumbs that will assist you along the way if that is where you want to stay. On the other, the flip side is you have to be practical and you have to accept the jobs that you can accept now. Be curious, learn on the job, those skills will always be transferable and you will also be able to discover more parts of you and capacity and even new passions. That's my honest answer to one of the most difficult questions I've ever gotten. No, that, that, yeah. Like I tell you, you're bad. You're bad. And I, you know, you know the, the main challenge I have is that I don't want to say I want to help everybody. I, I, I want to see everyone enjoy this great life. From from a financial perspective, at least having that 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 mm-hmm. aspect of it taken care of, so they can manifest on themselves in, in freedom to some degree of, of how they want to pursue life. And I think a lot of it comes down to what you're sharing is it's situational. You're not necessarily knowing where things will pan out. You are staying intentional. You're staying extremely curious, and you're you're really not afraid to work for free. Which I, I was very grateful that you to hear in your story. Yeah, so, and it's fair as well. I think it's fair mm, that it prevents a lot of people from stepping out even after they've been curious and you, they know within their hearts they've arrived and they can now take a bet on themselves. It's the fear that keeps them because then they don't know if, if they step out, if they'll be as sustainable or if they'll be as viable as they want. And so fear has a lot to do with it. But if mm. you're already good at... Um, applying yourself and you have the right attitude in any space you're you're putting then it means that you'll always be able to make money yes if you get the attitude and the approach right Mm -hmm. then no matter where they put me i'm going to always make money yes okay so that that gives you the confidence to pursue this absolutely fearful activity absolutely 
Okay, so I, I will, if you can grant me a couple of minutes here, time, I, I don't know what your schedule is like. You can I, get I, another hour if you wanted, Mark. I promise. Don't, don't say a thing. You see, you see a lot of people that come and say <laughs> things. And when people take it up on your word, <laughs> all you're going to say, oh, wow. Break I it think. up into part one and part two. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all right. I'll, I'll take a couple of minutes because I, I, I think I do have, um, based on my research on you, uh, I, I do have some very important questions. You're a mom. Okay, and I've seen videos of you and your daughter, and and they're very beautiful. And I, I saw your talk on sort of having those real conversations with your parents, and and they're just kind of showing you the world in a in a real way, and not making you feel too weird about it. And I've been fortunate to have my parents. I I could go tell them all kind of thing. Yeah. And so most things that you can't really tell your parents, but I have the coolest parents in the world. They, and that's rare. That's rare. And that has given me a lot of freedom. To, to really build a strong relationship. But here's here's a... I'm 100% sure you've never gotten this question. So in your path, there were many difficulties. There were many unknowns. Mm-hmm. And you have been forging uh, this new path. Going through the bush and you cutting your track to, to, to your final destination. And to some degree, I think as a parent, I'm not a parent, by the way, but I've seen this in my parents where they struggled growing up. So they gave me, uh, you know, a very well-paved path, in my opinion. And I think what I've discovered is when the path is paved too well, you get uh, staying comfortable is very easy. How as a parent Mm -hmm. do you balance that with the, how much pain do you, you know, expose your child to essentially. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. there? Great question. Um, I think there's a quote that says, hard times create great people. Great people create good times. Good times create weak people. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never gotten that question, but it's a a conversation that I have a lot with my my closest friends uh, because it's something that uh, I'm extremely aware of. It's something that stays on the forefront of my mind. And I've come to realize, and I say it all the time, for those of us who understand struggle and understand rejection and understand um, humble beginnings in different degrees, we were hungry to be successful. We had to know how to survive regardless. We had to know how to maybe wash our uniforms with a bottle of water because your water get cut off. There are certain realities that because we had to overcome, we've had a different approach and even mentality to how we deal with with life. Um, And what I said to myself was, I, I made this promise to myself and I made my promise to my daughter and I speak very frankly with her. For those of you listening, she just turned 11. I told her, one of the worst things you can do is, as a parent, I believe it's a great injustice to create entitled children, mm. spoiled children, um, children who believe that the entire world revolves and exists only for them and that they will always get yeses in this world. I think you do them a great injustice as individuals. To, to grow, to be amazing individuals, but you do a great injustice to your community and your nation and the world because we are the ones who now have to deal with your child as an adult. This, this, this child becomes a CEO, a supervisor, a 
co-worker, a partner, a best friend, and they wreak havoc in the lives of people simply because they've been accustomed to just getting everything they want, how they want it, when they want it. Um, it's something I'm very passionate about. And so even though my daughter will never know probably what it is like to take the bus in Jamaica, for example, yes. like if you travel and the mode of transport is train and bus, then we'll take it. But she's growing up in a car that I didn't. I grew up taking the bus and having to be squeezed out as a schooler. Uh, there are certain struggles that I experience that she will never experience. However, from our conversations, I've made it very clear. If you see something that you want, or oh, you will have to earn it. And you will have to earn it not just by getting good grades, because grades are not the only thing that make it a man. It's also mm. your attitude. Yeah? And so if you can't just be bringing in straight A's, but your attitude stink. Because if your attitude stink, then you're not, you're still not gonna, you're still not, you're still not succeeding as a human being, in my opinion. Mm. So you have to have the right approach when it comes to dealing with people and seeing people and how you speak to elderly, your family members, all of those things I assess. And then I will say, okay. You are deserving of this because look at what you've done. And when she does things that are, are endearing, I make sure that I acknowledge it because I don't also want to be a parent where only when you do something bad, you're nah. But when you do something great, you know, fantastic job. I told her my idea is to make her as great a person as she can be now so that she will be a great citizen a great global citizen, not even just a Jamaican, but global citizen. And it's because we had these kinds of conversations and, you know, we post some of them. That's why I got invited to do my TEDx talk ah, in Birmingham. Very cool. It was because they wanted a topic that spoke about unleashing the potential of, of children. And for me, what I added was I teaching them things that we don't typically teach them culturally. And it was about inclusion, diversity, autonomy, and empathy. And so for me, she earns based on those things. Yes. Um, and I, I made it very clear that the entitlement thing is not going to work and that life is not going to be a bed of roses. So I tell her no. And you have to deal with that no. And how do you counter my no? Do you mm. negotiate that no? Or do you go in a corner and whine? And I... Observe all of those things, and then I present it to her, and I say, this is, this is what you did. Was this right? And so she's now able to come to her own conclusions. She now knows how to manage no's and how to manage things that don't go her way, and that's important to me. Great, great. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think I see, you know, it's a pattern that you see people become successful, and they, their kids are given, as you're saying, um, you know, a good life. Mm -hmm. And I think even seeing that the parents of my struggles went through and I seen like the strength of my parents. And then when you have certain things taken care of, there's, I think the learning experience are not necessarily always there. And that's why I, for me, I pursue fitness just because I'm artificially inducing that stressful environment, right? Because I didn't grow up poor. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I, I had a lot of things growing up. I wasn't like crazy rich or anything like that, but, um, my my parents gave me the opportunity to experience a good life yeah and now 
I'm also very in, intentional about hold up, hold up. Like I could, my ancestors didn't sacrifice everything for me to come to the land of opportunity. I call America the land of opportunity to sit down and be comfortable. You know what I and mean? Just, like, yeah, for sure. And, and even and just, extra, what you're saying? No, I, I'm, just, I'm saying just a breeze now and I just sit down and oh yeah, I, I make it, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and I think by, as you going, going back to your fitness journey, by putting her in extracurricular activities, you know, she does piano on Mondays, she does competitive swimming Tuesdays and Thursdays, she does synchro Wednesdays, she does dancing on Fridays. Those things allow her to manage her time. And I've told her, mm-hmm. manage your time. Um, and you have to put in the level, what if, whatever you put in, is what you get out and so using those avenues as well helps with you know team leadership time management and making sure that they stick to it and if she come home one day when she started swimming and she said oh my god she was in so much pain i said yeah but over a period of time you're not gonna feel it but if you stop if you choose to start it again it's gonna be worse yes push through and so i found that that kind of parenting has worked so far um, I won't be perfect in all areas, but for me, it's nice when I see her, for example, very quickly, she just did her end of term exams and we were preparing for her Spanish exams. They're learning parts of the body in Spanish and the teacher gave them activities, speaking, reading, writing, running, and then asked them to write the corresponding body parts. And so she puts for speaking, she puts mouth, hands, finger. And for reading, she puts eyes and fingers. And for a second, I was like, huh? And then I realized for speaking, it was hands and fingers for sign language. Mm. And for reading, she used fingers because blind people use Braille. And it was one of those moments where I had the warmest, fuzziest feeling in my heart. And I was like, you are killing this parenting game. Like you are on. Like it's one of those times when I, I really wanted to just be like, can we celebrate you right now as a parent? Because one of the things that I wanted to be intentional about with raising her was exposing her to communities with people with disabilities and thinking about them at every process. Mm-hmm. If you're doing something and it does not include or cannot include someone with a disability, the process is wrong. The system wow. is wrong. And so the fact that in just that simple Spanish exam or test revision, she thought about communication, not just based on her and who she typically sees. I think that was one of the probably one of the proudest moments of my life as a, as a parent. So I think... In anything that we do, we kind of have to be the example. We have to be the standard. And it can't just be do as I say, not as I do. And for them yes. to really increase their capacity, they have to see us doing the same. Hmm. That was a beautiful story. I have three questions for you. Thank okay. you. I'll, 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 keep, I'll try to keep them. How do you maintain your health? That's a hard one. In fact, of all the things I've ever done, it was my hardest. Mm. Um, but I, over the period of time, I kind of just made very important decisions. Um, I do my pap smear, um, every year, things that I I would never have looked at a pap smear. I I really didn't care about it, but I realized now if, if I plan on 
trying to do this and have impact for as long as I want. My health comes first. And if my mm. health goes, everything else goes. And so from mammogram, which I just did for the first time at party uh, last year, is something that I'm going to continue to do, to do my pap smears, to do my doctor's checkups, uh, and even cutting out things that I could not do without, like Pepsi, Coca-Cola. I was hey, your Pepsi and Coca-Cola? I would not, I I not have expected that. I Seriously? was going through hmm. four liters easily. What? Four liters a day. Mm. A who? Hold up, hold up. A who? A day? This is a wow. confession. A confession is good for the soul, mm, right, man? Nah, nah, that's serious, but that's serious. You nah, chop, nah. Okay. You drop a two-liter wow. Coke in front of me, I am going to take those five glasses and I'm going to be done within half an hour. I oh was drinking gosh, wow. Coke mm. and Pepsi like how people are supposed to drink water. And wow. that was one of the hardest things for me. Um, even now, I still get urges and I go to freezers in the supermarket and I stare at the Coke or if I see someone pass with a Coke in a restaurant, I really want it. But mm -hmm. it's one of those decisions that I've made to try to cut the amount of sugar, understanding that NCDs are the largest killers, especially of black people and mm -hmm. Caribbean people. It's the cholesterol, the diabetes and all of those things. And it's because it is tied to what we eat and how we diet. And so I've curved that, which I'm extremely proud of. And I know I have other areas to cut in, my, in terms of eating properly. But these are decisions I, these are things I never would have thought about. I just get up and go. But now I realize I have to set an example, not just for myself, but mm -hmm. for my daughter who is also coming so she's really big on dieting now and drinking more water and she's helping me as an accountability partner oh that's beautiful cool <laughs> i i think it's it's one of my joys to see both parents and and their children engage in health activities i, I was very fortunate growing up that my dad had a very good gym in our home and i would, would invite people so i've, I've grown up lifting weights and seeing that and, and seeing him do it and like, oh i have to do this and uh, it, it left he basically taught me how to how to grow old and seeing him right. at he's about to turn 68 and he's still selling me sending me like bodybuilding pictures and the man arms bigger than mine i say shit that uh, i don't step up my game here understand so when old men when fellas and i can't tell boy 60 so boy 60 so uh, i was like i can't go and tell my father when I sixty something, you right. look at me like, "What's your problem?" You understand? I haven't so, been to the gym though, boy. Mark the gym thing. I don't. I not uh, the gym. Mm, no, 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 no. Okay, after uh, this conversation, it's, it's me and you because um, not the gym thing, boy. I'm not in the gym. Like it's, it's one of the, it's one of the biggest, the most asked questions I get. Mm. Um, ask you no. People ask me about my leg routine and my stomach <laughs> routine, and I'm just like, listen. <laughs> Y'all lucky you even saw me take the stairs to come up on this stage. Mm, um, mm. I'm going to chalk it up to genes. My family is generally you know, small built Asian, yes. Asian on my father's side. And everyone is generally small. And so I tell people that I think I've won the gene lottery where that is mm. concerned. Okay. okay. The gym conversation, boy, that's, that's something we're going to have to have like in WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, go, um, I'll just say, share one secret. I think the biggest, the best investment that you can ever do in your life is a, is home equipment. Okay. So without home equipment, it is 
almost virtually impossible to maintain your health from a a working and, and be consistent with working out. Mm-hmm. So you always need at least one little piece of equipment. And especially when it comes to organ health, organ health is very important. And and very similar to you, I had a, a sugar change recently. So like I, I have a six pack thing, you know, you're looking lean. And for a period of time I was going through, like I would go to this pie shop and I would buy, I'd spend a hundred US in pies. Cause she was making like fresh pies, a hundred US a week. Let's tell you. Right? So my sweet too bad, bad, bad. But naturally, I think um, as you get older, you you start to pay attention to blood flow. Okay. Yes. And then I was one day I was watching my ankle. I had an ankle injury and I find this thing to get along the heel. But I was watching the veins of my ankle and I find it was looking kind of old and viral key, you know, viral mm-hmm. viral vein kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I say, dying looking. And I one night I ate a piece of key lime pie and something just kind of hit me. I said, like, hey, you're poisoning yourself. And so I took a break and, you know, took a, took a, a break from the, from the dessert and the amount of energy that I had, cause I always been falling asleep as a child. Like that's why I didn't like school. Cause I, I couldn't stay awake and gotcha. doing blood work and stuff. I realized I had iron deficiencies. So I didn't even realize my whole life. I probably had an iron deficiency as a child. Cause all in school, I would get, I would go to school with a pillow. No energy, no, no energy. energy. No energy. Like I'll I'll fall asleep at any time. Even in my PhD, like everybody knows me for sleeping under my desk. Right. I I had a big I had a pillow, a mat, and I wouldn't go home. I'll just sleep and wake up. You do work and and so that became a routine for me. But you know, when I started to pay more attention to blood work, I think that's yes. very important as we get older. And then just learning from my dad, just in very intense exercise is critical for organ health. Because otherwise, them organs and them, remember every day, the, the organs and them just chipping away and they're going down. Eh? So, and and I think that pain tolerances are very important. That is the, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, based on my experience, that is the most critical lesson for a parent to transfer to a child. Yeah. This notion of tolerating physical, mental, and emotional pain. Pain. <laughs> if they can, if you, if, if a child has that, they can do anything. The resilience. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. That so wow. that, that's a, a perspective I'll share. So my last two questions. Um, you, I, I learned that you're an avid reader, which I am desperately, if you see it all in my books, I am a, I consider myself a wannabe avid reader because <laughs> I, I tend to read slow. Um, but I, I, surround, I surround myself with books so I feel better, all right? So I could pick up and read a page or two. That works as well. <laughs> yeah. And I have very good intentions at least. And, and I recognize the importance. Um, what would you say to someone or or people that they they don't have reading as a sport in their life, I would call it that, yeah. and, and the importance of taking that into account? Ooh, this is an easy one. I love this question. Um, Alex, who is, again, my executive liaison, when he came on board about a year and six months now, my only contractual stipulation with him is that he had to read a book a month. Mm. oh cool like you can work from home you can do anything you want to do but you must read a book a month um number one you know you always hear readers are leaders and you know everybody always uses that but i think one of the reasons why i people consider me to be so eloquent and articulate and i i connect a lot of dots and i find relatable moments to put things together is because i read a lot 
Mm. So I always have points of references. I always have things that I can say, hey, you know, I was reading in this particular book and it adds richness to not only your knowledge, but to conversations. And you can have, you can create aha moments because you are the reader. And so for me, I've always told persons, you know, it's good when you can be a creator and not necessarily the consumer all the time. It's great when you can create these aha moments or these moments where people said, I didn't know that because you read. Now, um, where it gets tricky is for many of us, uh, we lose our love for reading along our academic journey. Yes. We start to focus a lot on the books that help us to get the grade to pass. And as soon as we start to get into the professional world, we really are just dibbling and dabbling. If we're going back to school for our masters, then we start to pick up books again. But generally, we're kind of scrolling. We might read a one article or we're reading just the headlines on social media. And so our attention span has gotten shorter. And the idea of reading anything over 150 words, it's like, oh, oh my gosh. Where I will tell people is, you're going to read books that you will not like and that you won't like, but you won't know unless you start, hmm. unless you start. Um, what I love about the internet and where tech has worked for me as a book lover is that there's so many communities, so many reviews. You can type in the kind of books you want, the kind of themes that you like, and literally communities and keywords will say, here are some books we recommend, which helps to make that overwhelming decision of which book to choose so much easier. Um, I will tell people, if you start a book and you realize it's really not the book for you, do not feel compelled to finish it. Some mm. of the biggest avid readers in the world use DNF, did not finish, meaning it takes too much time and effort and energy to complete something that you really do not like, does not add value and drains you more than anything. That's not what reading a book should do. And you have the choice, guilt-free to say, DNF, let me find something else. Um, and what I've come to realize, like everything else, going back to your fitness journey, is once you start and you get hooked or you start on a great book that makes you go, whoa, you want to pick up another one. Mm. And what I do in particular is I, I alternate. So if I do a nonfiction like Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, which is easily my top three in my top three books of all time. Okay, okay. If I do Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers to read as fiction, I'm going to break it up with something that is fiction, anxious people. And then I might go to Adam Grant's Originals because that's another nonfiction that's going to give you a lot of, wow, I did not know this. And then I break it up with another nonfiction. And so I always want to be taking in information that teaches me and then information that entertains me, then mm. information that educates me and information that. And so I do that to also break up the, the types of books that I that I that I read, and I don't no, I got, ever gonna... feel I don't ever feel pressured to read books that everybody else has read. Hmm. I don't feel pressured to do that, and it, it it makes for a nice reading list. So you do keep a reading list? 
Oh, yes. I keep a reading list. And for example, Alex has access to a hundred of my books on Audible. Um, that he can go in and read anytime. There's some books that I reread and there are books, there's some books that I always recommend and everyone always comes back and says, awesome. All right. That, that's my, I was supposed to do my last question, but. <laughs> and memoirs. Tell Don't me. forget memoirs. I think yes. memoirs. So I, I did learn that about you. Love memoirs. Yeah. 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 What Absolutely. do they do for you? Pardon? What do memoirs do for you? Um, I think, uh, I think what it does is it it is a, an honest, open account of people's lives, especially people who we idolize or people who we see just killing it at the top of their game, and to read their history, their past, their demons. Um, their failures, their mistakes, the depression, you know, just the bad parts and to see how they were able to come out on the other end and survive and thrive and to now inspire others. I think there's always something to apply. There's always something relatable. And it also shows you that it can be done. Yes. It, it, it too can be done and this mm. too shall pass. And so I, I tend to, to like great, great memoirs as well. Cool. I, I I will be taking your. I'll try your alternate reading strategy because if you see my thing is either nonfiction, just, technical, IVA learning, you're wasting your time. So I I think I do need a little bit of shaking because I I've found like my my reading, my joy for reading is is decreasing, but my anxiousness to read is increasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 I tell people as well. There are some of us who will read fifty books a year. Some of us will read two hundred books a year. But if you are starting out and you read one good book for the year, you've already done a very good thing. So don't mm. look at the numbers of bookstagrammers who are accustomed to reading. Um, and if you don't like print, try audiobooks. I will always tell people audiobooks are an amazing, um, is a, an amazing alternative for persons who may not have the time to sit down physically or who may doze off when they read physical books. There's a lot of production value in audiobooks. I see. Makes sense. Okay, so this is my last question. I have many sure? more and we'll, we'll, go, we'll go make sure under the part two. Um, you seem very intentional about the mark. I would, I would say the mark that you want to leave here, and I imagine it's the example that you want to show your daughter before you depart from her in, in your lifetime. What's the dream? I think the dream for me would have been to enter this world and pass through this world as myself, mm. completely authentic and true to who I am. Um, but because of my desire to be thoughtful and mindful about everyone else around me, that in my words and in my actions, it will inspire them to go and do the same. Um, I think I want to be remembered as someone who just tried her best to always bring light and brightness and laughter and love and life to a space. And someone who, regardless of where you put her, she always tried her best. I think that ultimately is my dream, is my dream. Beautiful. Well, I have we hit we hit the two hour mark and I've thoroughly wow, enjoyed. Really? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is, you know, here's, here's the interesting thing, yeah? And this is, I think, very applicable to, I think, your life and how you've navigated. There is the the mechanism of what you should do to progress in how society is telling you to manifest your gift. For instance, everyone should say, hey, don't go more than 20, 30 minutes on podcast. Nobody will listen. Um, I don't do this podcast so that millions of people listen. I do this podcast for if one person took something and they did something, I, I would have spent my life uh, in, in a good way. So I think for me, these longer form conversations, to me, this is history. And I've, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And I think I, I have many things with which to level up in my own in my own pursuit of, of my gifts that I'm discovering along the way, because now I'm in a position to maximize those gifts. Before I wasn't, I had to do what I had to do. And I think I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm feeling when I saw you and I, I saw you speak, I'm like, oh, that's what I could become. Yes, absolutely. And better and better. That's, that's what I, that's why I was grateful to, to have experienced you speak and, you know, like I said, I, I think many people might not see the lens with which I've seen the importance of your work and the the care and, and specificity and intentionality with which you put into your work. But uh, I come here as a very curious student and, and, and you know, grateful to, to learn always. So um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, and, and as much as I don't get I don't do interviews a lot, um, I appreciate um, interviewers who take the time, who really take the time to ask the questions that no one else asks and to dive deeper and to explore depth of a person that many don't ever seek to because they're too stuck at the, the, the surface. I thank you so very much for honoring with me with the, the kinds of questions and the thoughtfulness behind the questions and for for just recognizing what I put into my craft. Um, I, again, it is my sincerest gratitude to you. Thank you. Much appreciated. All right, we'll we'll have a part two for everybody. We will see how people feel. Eh? <laughs> Absolutely. Cool, and when cool. I see you next, make sure I get my curry, I'm a roti, I'm a nah, nah. I'm a doubles. You just make sure you're ready in the gym to eat all the food. Don't come and tell me you want to gain weight and I'm gonna think. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> cool. All right, well, it was a blessing and yeah, we'll we'll, we'll catch up in a bit. Thanks.